Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. On today's episode, we talk to the truly inspiring Lucy Flores, former Nevada Assemblywoman, current activist, organizer, and board member of Our Revolution. We also want to remind you that you have a great opportunity to see the Katie Helper Show live December 14th. That's Wednesday, December 14th at 7 p.m. We'll be doing our live taping at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue. Again, that's 388 Atlantic Avenue. And we'll be talking about identity politics with special guests, Zed Jelani of The Intercept, Karina Moreno, assistant professor of LIU who specializes in immigration, and Kazembe Balagan of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. Not only are we going to be doing a live taping of our show, but we will be having a karaoke holiday party. So you'll definitely want to come down. Also, as always, we encourage you to join our Patreon. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the Katie Halper Show. And you can join and support us at various levels. Get yourself a mug, get yourself a calendar. They make great holiday gifts. And you get bonus content and interviews. This week, for instance, you get to hear another live show on Bernie Made Me White with Leslie Lee, Eddie Gandiola, and more. We also have a special follow-up interview with Ben Jealous that you're going to love that talks about all the things, basically, that the Clinton campaign did wrong. Now, a word from our not-so-corporate sponsors. In a world where major telecommunication companies have outsourced jobs and helped the government spy on U.S. citizens, wouldn't it be nice to use your phone as a force for good and not evil? Well, you can, thanks to Credo Mobile, a progressive phone company. Every month, they take a share of their revenue, more than $150,000, and donate it to incredible progressive organizations. And that adds up. They've already contributed over $81 million to organizations like the Brennan Center for Justice, Amnesty International, and Planned Parenthood. And Credo customers vote to determine which organizations get how much money. So it's literally democracy in action. Not only does Credo fund progressive causes, but you get to use the phone of your choice with great service. Right now, Credo has a special deal for Katie Halper listeners. You guys, this is so exciting. Our own deal, guys. Go to credo.com slash Katie and get 50% off unlimited talk and text for two years. Plus, select smartphones are free. Okay, you guys, you're getting 50% off unlimited talk and text for two years and Depending on which phone, you could get the phone for free. It'll be a smartphone. We're not talking flip phones. Just go to credo.com slash k-a-t-i-e. That's credo.com slash k-a-t-i-e, credo.com slash katie, or call 1-800-260-1254. That's 1-800-260-1254. And tell them Katie Helper sent ya. Don't forget that part. It's time your phone company represented your values. So go to credo.com slash Katie today. So excited to have Lucy Flores joining us. Hello. Well, I'm excited too. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I can. You're vibrant. Okay. You're, you're smiling while you're talking, which is always a good sign. Uh, Politicians so. need to do that, <laughs> at least the good ones. And of course, you were in the uh, Nevada House for two mm-hmm. terms, mm-hmm. and then you ran for uh, lieutenant governor and for mm-hmm. Congress, and yes. we'll talk about that interesting uh, congressional run. <laughs> yes, in a second. it was very interesting. You were in politics <laughs> for a while. Uh, yeah, close to 10 years. Yeah, a, de- a decade in politics, starting very, very young, too. Yes. So. Yeah, don't remind me. Okay. <laughs> I definitely won't. You're on the board of Our Revolution. Correct. And uh, can you tell us any more about that? 
Oh my gosh, where to start? Well, it is, of course, the um, continuation of uh, the revolution that Bernie Sanders started from, uh, of course, his revolutionary campaign for president. And, and it's been fantastic. You know, there was a lot of questions about what's next, what's next, what's next. And our revolution is just a small part of that. Um, I sit with an incredible board of amazing people, Senator Nina Turner, Ben Jealous, Shailene Woodley. Uh, I'm so, you know, I'm so privileged to be able to, um, you know, interact with these folks and, and really be a part of being um, just a small part of what's next for the progressive movement in this country. Yeah. So when you, uh, when, what, when our revolution sort of uh, coalesced, uh, this was right after the primaries? This was right after the primaries. Um, and, and, you know, it, it took a it took a little bit to kind of work through the bumps. Um, this is something that the, the progressive movement is not something that's new. I say this all the time. Our issues have been winning issues for quite a while now. When you look at uh, minimum wage laws, when you look at um, campaign finance reform, when you look at um, labor issues, when those issues are on the ballot, they have passed in even the deepest of red states. And so we know that this agenda is a winning agenda, and it's an agenda that the majority of Americans believe in. Um, it's only now, you know, Bernie did such an amazing job of connecting those issues to politicians, because for a long time, you know, frankly, myself included, coming from, you know, myself as an elected official and coming from that world and really experiencing it from the inside, um, you know, people were really disillusioned and um, and feeling hopeless and, and really questioning whether or not politicians, elected officials would actually ever represent them. And, and so Bernie managed to kind of connect those two, that those issues that mattered, that could improve people's lives, could actually be um, moved forward by their elected representatives, which is how it's supposed to happen, right? And I think that that just, you know, Bernie did such a great job of renewing that hope in people. And so it's our job, you know, to to continue moving that forward. And uh, I know I, I don't want to be, uh, I feel like there's a cult of personality around Bernie uh, as well. And uh, I, I personally don't like to look at saviors as much as I look, I like to look at policies. And uh, I was just, you know, looking over your track record in politics uh, prior to joining up with Our Revolution and how there were there were um, policies that you were trying to put in place that would have a major impact on um, people living below the poverty line and also people of color in the state of Nevada. Absolutely. I, I was just literally earlier today in D.C. and we did a rally. Uh, Bernie was there. A lot of other amazing people. Um, afterwards, I got to speak to a group of young people who um, some of them worked on the campaign, some of them not, and and they were having a gathering of what's next um, for themselves. And mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that that I said at that event was that you know you're right, Bernie isn't the be all end all. He's not a savior. What was incredible about what he did was that he just demonstrated the values that we all share. Yeah. And 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 their values that we've all had and we've and we've been fighting for for a while. And and all he did that was revolutionary, frankly, was to bring that to the forefront. 
um, you know, to create a national movement around these things that we all believe in and that we have been working on for so long. And so, you know, it's not so much that it's that it's him and we follow him. It's that we follow the values that we're all fighting for so deeply. We're big fans of our revolution of Bernie, obviously, but also just of you in your own <laughs> you. orbit of existence. You have a really impressive background um, of organizing and pushing forward policies that really help people on a concrete level. Katie, I wanted her to toot her own horn, too, and she didn't do it. Oh, Which no, I so know. So was, you see, it's not me, it's us, right? That's yeah. the Bernie right. thing, that's, that's the Lucy exactly thing, right? right. Yeah. Um, but I, I just thought that it would be really useful and interesting and um, inspiring to our listeners if you could talk about your background, because you're really someone who comes from a, a background that most politicians don't come from, and often you see people who come from backgrounds like this who then, because they made it, are kind of like Clarence Thomas-ish, and they're hey man, like, I, I pulled made myself it. up exactly. on my own bootstraps, bootstraps right? And uh, everybody just needs to sacrifice as hard as I did yeah. to to just, you know what? I'm heartless now because yeah, I made it. Basically, right? right? Where I there's made statistical anomalies, yeah, where yeah. they're the statistical anomalies, and so the Tony Montanas. But but then everyone else is the. I mean, it's just absurd, obviously, if you look at it from statistics. And someone said a great metaphor for this is like you you. You're like given a, a ladder, and then you climb up it, and then you kick it, so like no right. one else. Can I think of it as like a rope ladder that you pull back up yes. into the helicopter, and you're like, "Sorry, <laughs> we're good. full. Right, uh, right, right, everyone right. else on the embassy rooftop, you're you got to stay here." Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how that informed your decisions to pursue what you pursue? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned that we developed into this world where, as elected officials, you had to play a certain part, you had to look a certain part, you couldn't be, you know, different. And and for me, the, re the, the ultimately how I ended up in politics was because I was just involved in my community and kind of ended up there by virtue of, you know, all of these these series of events that happen. And, and so for me, it was always really important to just be myself and to be honest, because the reason why I was there was because of my experiences and the fact that people and young people and families, not only in my community, but across this country, were still experiencing the same challenges that I went through. And, and that was really important for me even though time and time again, as I was going through my political career, especially at the beginning, you know, consultants and other people would tell me how to tone it down. And you should talk about, you should use these words and, you know, maybe we should not talk about that so much, et cetera. And, you know, so for me, having ended up in Las, in Las Vegas from East LA, um, after my two oldest brothers were murdered, um, both of them around the same time because of drugs and gangs, um, you know, my dad moved all of us that were uh, underage to Las Vegas and we tried to start over and it was tough. You know, we, we were low income, a family of immigrants and, but like most families still to this day and even more so under our economic conditions, um, you know, we struggled, but we made do. And it wasn't until my mom left my family and I was nine that I started to experience a lot of problems. And, um, you know, just like any typical nine-year-old whose mother decides to leave, uh, didn't understand why. And even though I was in gifted and talented education, you know, my two younger brothers were three and four years old when she left. It was just really hard. And there weren't a whole lot of there weren't a whole lot of good role models or aspirations or, you know, things for me to to aspire to, but there was a whole lot of bad. 
And like many of our young people who get caught up in the school to prison pipeline, um, that happened to me. You know, I started getting arrested for statutory things like running away and ditching school um, and getting put right into the criminal justice system. Um, I was just in Portland on a mandatory minimums panel talking about um, that impact and for the first time, you know, talked publicly about my experience being a 12-year-old and being strip searched and standing there, um, you know, in your unyet, unyet developed body, naked body, and, and being treated and traumatized in that way at such a young age. And so you can imagine, you know, going through this system, ending up on juvenile parole at 15, dropping out at 17. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I chose to talk publicly about my choice to have an abortion at 16 because all of my sisters had been pregnant in their teens. One was 14 years old when she got pregnant with twins. So, you know, all of these challenges and things that I'd experienced uh, throughout my young adult life, it was really, really important for me to talk about how people were still experiencing those challenges. And, and, and you know, frankly, I, I was scared that I would be judged or that people wouldn't want to vote for a criminal, a quote-unquote criminal, um, or a felon, or however they're going to label me, and, and some did. You know, it's been very, it's it's been nasty since the beginning, but you get used to it. And you got but death threats, right, when you revealed after that you had I, I chose abortion. to talk about my abortion, yeah, absolutely. It was horrific. Um, because they're pro-life, so yeah, death threats exactly. make a lot of sense. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, it's uh, being open and honest and genuine, that really comes across. And, and I think that, you know, for me, it was really important to just stay true to who I was, to constantly advocate for my community in, in the way that I felt was natural to me, and, and worry about the rest later. Whenever I was running my campaigns or running for reelection or doing any of those things, I always told myself, the day that I am more worried about losing my seat than doing the right thing and following my moral compass is the day I no longer belong in office. And I lived that. And, you know, I don't think it necessarily cost me a seat, um, you know, because obviously I just lost my congressional race. Um, but, but I do think that, you know, ultimately it inspired a lot of new leaders and, um, you know, a different way of, of doing politics. Yeah, I was going to ask you about um, the feedback you've gotten. If, if people have heard you speak or know about your campaign, if you've heard from people who have t spoken about how you've inspired them or kind of shown them a way forward that wasn't necessarily visible before. Absolutely, yes, all the time from other women, women of color, uh, millennials, young people, so many different people, all ages, um, you know, who really say, well, how can I use my narrative, you know, my personal story, whether, you know, and it doesn't have to obviously be traumatic. You know, sometimes I get people who are like, oh, my gosh, but you have such a great story. And I'm like, no, you have a great story, too. Everyone has a story to tell. Everybody can talk about their motivations and, and why they got up that day and said, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And, and as long as you're being genuine and honest and, and can go out there and say, this is why I'm running. This is why I'm doing something. This is why I need your help. This is why we can work together to accomplish something then that comes across and you'll be successful. I think the genuineness thing is really interesting because actually another person who I'm a big, huge fan of, Nina Turner, your, your, uh, our revolution colleague, and um, 
I heard her talking on MSNBC, which I'm so I can't believe her patience going on that channel. <laughs> but that's I mean, there, it's, it should be called like the C. She should does be have for, a lot of patience. It's her birthday today, so oh shout out to Happy birthday, Nina Turner. Nina Turner. I mentioned you in my article today about how. <laughs> Um, I wrote an article for Pace about identity politics, and there's an amazing part, and we'll get to this too, but where um, she's on All In with Chris Hayes, and she says that Bernie Sanders wanted to ditch identity politics, and Chris Hayes barely audibly says, you didn't quite say that. Nina Turner says he didn't say that, he didn't mean that. And Michelle Goldberg, who's the white woman who was speaking, kind of pushes right past that and goes on to finish what she's saying about how Bernie Sanders is going to throw women, women and people of color under the bus. And watching a woman of color who had literally chosen to endorse Bernie Sanders, who was a former state senator, be ignored by a white woman, ex- like w- like white explaining why Sanders was throwing p- these people under the bus was like epic. So that's your the opposite of a party. F- I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, and if a- people people have to read your paste article, it's out right oh. now. I know it's on Facebook at least. That's where I got yeah, it. I was clicking I on Facebook. I saw the paste article, and man, it was like if you've seen They Live. When they, when they, when uh, Roddy Roddy Piper puts on the sunglasses and he sees the subliminal messages everywhere, yeah. I really got to see the schmear campaign against yeah. Bernie. Uh, <laughs> that before that I was unaware of. Yeah. Uh, from the liberal media, I saw that with uh, th- that how they really made him seem like he was um, against identity politics. And uh, I know some comedians who on Facebook were just. Attacking him because they had they had drunk the uh, the, the Kool Aid yeah. man, and they yeah. got to put on the Katie Halper paste article sunglasses, yes. and uh, maybe they will they'll they'll uh, take cleanser. back their yeah, yeah. A little pal- like uh, like a nice uh, pickled ginger yeah to re- cleanses <laughs> the palate yeah exactly yeah um yeah and maybe they'll maybe they'll uh, they'll take back some of the the nasty things they said oh nice I like it taste well it was just so intellectually dishonest so totally. here's the thing is that and of course look, this affects you because. Like we were like as as a woman of color who was a Bernie surrogate and who was endorsed by Bernie, what does this say to you, right? Was it intellectually dishonest to not listen to all of his comments and take that into context with so many other things that he has said to know where he stands and the arguments and the intersectionality that we know he understands? Absolutely. And these and were just so sorry. I, I dropped the ball on this in my excitement because this is I'm a big fan girl, by the way, <laughs> Lucy Flores. So, um, and we met Lucy through Nando, big fan, of, big friend of the show. Nando oh, Villa. for anyone, everyone out there, yeah, Nando Villa. Nando Villa, yeah. He he, re- <laughs> he he redeemed himself as kind of blowing Bernie Sanders' uh, position on reparations, but he came on the show and we decided he, that Bernie and Killer Mike had to make cop buddy movies. And maybe if they'd done that, Bernie would be president today. Just saying. But I mean, sometimes Nando says smart things. Yeah, sometimes. Every once in a while, yeah, once in a while. It's <laughs> wow. all for me. I feed him the lines. You guys. But but this was a scene. Oh, we're kidding. Mom yeah. is super we, smart. Yes. But um, that's why we can tease him. But um, this what we're referring to is on November twentieth. Um, Bernie Sanders was giving a speech at Berkeley College. He was asked a question through the moderator, which I think makes a teeny bit of a difference. But anyway, he, a woman named Rebecca said she was Latina, she wanted to be the the second, f- second Latina, Latina US, senator. U.S. senator. What advice did he have? And he said, we spoke about this last week with Leslie Lee, but he said, you know, it's not an, like, he emphatically said how important representation and diversity and identity politics are, but he said it's not enough, which is, we all know this concept, which is the mm-hmm. necessary but insufficient, right? Mm-hmm. These things are necessary, but we need to go beyond. And he was basically saying the policies need to be good for people, not just, it's not just the representation. That's right. And the headline, 
that was surfaced in TPM was that he urged supporters to ditch identity politics. It wasn't even about his supporters, honestly. It was about Democrats. But he certainly was not saying ditch. And again, he said uh, the, the question is whether Democrats will go beyond, which means literally like go further than. And I was thinking about this. Like it's, it's kind of funny. Imagine that people were like giving directions and it's like, um, walk down this road and then make sure you ditch the church on the right, make a left, then you're going to ditch the fountain. <laughs> you know, like if, all these things that are to go beyond, right? Yeah. Obviously, ditch is not interchangeable. It was, it was it was, intellectually dishonest. Look, yeah, 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 totally the, disingenuous. Look, the, the identity politics, that's the calcium. And then the class stuff, that's the magnesium. Ooh, I like it. You got to put those things together or your body, you know, Ooh, I like to, it, yeah. to absorb them efficiently. Yeah, or the amino acids, the <laughs> rice and beans. I'm going to have to Wikipedia that to see if that's sure true. to make sure that we didn't just tell people to poison themselves or something. <laughs> no, and absolutely. while you're at it, check to see if my Wikipedia page has been updated. I will. I love okay, your thanks. Wikipedia page, though. I was a huge fan after <laughs> I, I scanned over everything that you did in Nevada prior to uh, your, your the latest run when you were. Thank you. We were, we were saying before that we started the show that my whoever runs my Wikipedia page is just a, a, an incredibly dedicated yeah. person or people because um, it's it's pretty accurate, like 99% accurate. They do a great job. And I've never once made any edits to it. Wow. Yeah. And I'm just like, whoa, whoever does this is really good. But we hero. were commenting. I haven't looked at it for a while. So I don't know if it's been updated with my uh, with my recent loss, my recent campaign oh, and everything right. I'm doing now. So. And if it's not, it's probably because so whoever's they don't doing acknowledge it. it because it's a, sh- <laughs> it's a shame. Maybe so. Um, and do you want to actually we could talk about that. So can you talk about your experience um, with running for Congress and, and you had endorsed Bernie and mm-hmm. Bernie had endorsed you mm-hmm. and Emily's List, which had endorsed mm-hmm. you three times before. Mm-hmm. Emily's List, mm-hmm. of course, is the pro-choice pack. Um, right. And then they endorsed your opponent. Correct. Um, so what was that like and were you expecting <laughs> it or? You know, I, I mean, after the after so many years in politics, after a while, you you really do start to this is why one of the reasons why I always really did empathize with Hillary Clinton, um, because it's a it's a pretty nasty world. And and at the end of the day, most people, not all, but most people really are there to try to do a good job for people. And there's a lot of sacrifice involved in politics, so much sacrifice. And. You know, and so for the most part, people are there just giving up their family time and giving up so much of their selves to serve their communities, you know, from the school board level on up. And um, and so it, it's such a nasty, you know, disingenuous, sometimes, you know, pretty evil world that you do start to grow thick skin and you do start to just, you know, deflect and and you do start to develop that persona of, um, you know, toughness. Mm-hmm. And especially for women, it's just such a nasty, nasty environment. I was actually commenting to Nando the other day um, that, um, you know, the online vitriol and the and the harassment and the bullying, um, you know, I do, I do a lot of, there's certain words that aren't allowed to be used on my Facebook page, like baby killer, murderer, um, you know, other nasty does things. It fil- does it like get filtered it filter, out? Yeah, so wow. you cannot post on my Facebook. And now uh, Twitter has the same thing and Instagram too, same feature where if you try to do, do a post using one of those words, 
um, it, they will not allow you to post. So you have to spell it phonetically if I you want to get. Yeah, you would have to. Yeah. So yeah. it was great because it troll was, tips. I didn't. Yeah, exactly. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna edit it's that in out. my we'll bio. Out, yeah. I am a troll blocker. Yeah. So I should change it to like troll killer, but yeah. that might yeah. sound like too aggressive. Troll warrior. Troll warrior. I yeah. like it. Troll right. warrior. Justice. Oh, troll I justice like that. defender. <gasps> troll like drum major. I like troll warrior. Okay. Troll warrior. I'm gonna change that. All right. I'm officially changing my Twitter bio. Anywho, so we were saying that that the vitriol you know it's literally at a hundred for women like right. you say something and, and the or 80 for men or something or right? like 20 <laughs> you know the yeah. very first thing if you say something will say you should be raped right. or you know just something horrific like or, right yeah. like they just it doesn't even start at like oh you're I don't even know if you can say the B word, but right. you know, you're, you're such a terrible person, right? right? No, it literally starts right. at, I hope you get raped, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so anyhow, just having experienced that, um, you kind of, I'm not saying you get used to it, but you start to develop ways and mechanisms to start to block that stuff out. And having said all of that, after my after all of this was happening um, in my congressional race, first of all, that Emily's list had first and foremost decided to stay out of my race was already a massive disappointment. There were the dynamics of the race was um, basically Harry Reid's mentee, um, you know, not a bad person, but frankly had not accomplished anything in his ten years of service in the Nevada legislature. And at the end of the day, my record was the absolute best out of everyone in that race. And I stand by that. Um, And then there was another woman who was this multimillionaire, uber wealthy white woman had never run for office before, you know, thought she was going to waltz in and purchase the seat. Mm -hmm. Like Um, the Carly Fiorina. Exactly. And, and then there was, you know, me. So (laughs) I, of course, you know, came into it with a ton of support, et cetera. Um, but, you know, Emily's list declined to get involved, and that was hurtful at the beginning. And, you know, so that in case people don't know what Emily's list is, they exist. Their name stands for early early money is like yeast. Oh, my God. That I, is I what that. they stand. That is what That's Emily's list caps. stands okay. for. Right. Early money is like yeast because the purpose of their existence, if anyone follows them at all, they came from, you know, a bunch of women in a basement who were tired of losing races and not having women representation. And they all got together and they raised some money and they got this woman elected. And it literally it's like this story, you know, like right. this is supposed to be their ethos, what they stand for. They recognize that women have a harder time fundraising than men do. And so their purpose is to help those women from the very beginning early on raise the money they need so it's like they a head, can, it's like a head start program for female yes, politicians exactly exactly so and, and for the them thing is because it rises cause it yes helps you rise. yes okay. so you know the the idea in politics is that if you have a very strong showing at the beginning money begets money mm-hmm. right yeah. so if i show you that i can raise a hundred thousand dollars in the first month of my announcement then people are going to look at that and be like whoa she's got she's raising good money i'm going to give her or money the investment you know right? right exactly and and that multiplies itself so um you know up against harry reed's pick protege protege yeah. his apprentice is Darth <laughs> his apprentice <laughs> up against that guy um up against this multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. i was holding my own but yeah, you know, was I first in fundraising? Absolutely not. And so to Emily's list, even though, uh, one, they had endorsed me since my very, very first race, and two, their other purpose of existence is to get pro-choice women elected. 
And and so, you know, it was very clear that as far as my record and their issue is concerned, I was the, I was literally you, their you poster took one child. For the team, big time, right? Absolutely. And announcing your bo- abortion, like that's not something right. Everyone... And and you know, so I had years and years of relationship with them. So okay, fast forward, all this happens. I endorse. I decide to endorse Bernie. Um, pretty much the only, except for a colleague of mine who who's still in the state senate, um, the only elected official in Nevada who chose to endorse Bernie. Um, very, very much Clinton world. In fact, Bill Clinton, after that endorsement, also came in and endorsed Harry Reid's protege. Um, and so it was Harry Reid, Bill Clinton kind yeah. of thing over on, on that. And that happened after I endorsed Bernie as well. Um, so after all this time that Emily's list said, well, you're not raising enough money, you know, we'll, we'll, look, we'll check in on this race later. I, I support, I announced my support for Bernie. I think about two weeks after that, I get a call from Emily's list saying, hey, heads up, we've just decided to endorse your opponent. And I literally was so shocked that I just didn't even know what to say. I was like, uh, okay, you know, thanks for the heads up. And um, the official, there was such an outrage over that. Um, and, you know, rightly so, they deserved it. Um, but their official uh, response was that, that the other woman had more money, that she had raised more money. Well, I mean, of course, yeah, at that point, she had given herself, herself, right, right. her own money, almost a half million yeah, dollars. You know, right. Trump, you know like, Donald I'm Trump, sorry, right. I don't have personal right. wealth to give myself. If like, I did, I'd pay off my student loans. Right. Right. And so they gave a scholarship to a billionaire. Yeah, yes. Basically. Yes. Yeah. And it was just so insulting, so deeply insulting. And I took it very, very personally. So having said all of that about the online bullying and right. the developing the thick skin and, you know, after times learning that people are going to let you down and that people will say things and they'll stab right. you in the back. I mean, terrible, right? Like not house of cards, like murder level, but terrible. Just, you know, just some real um, betrayal. Right. That is how deeply this hurt me because of the fact that I had been such a champion on their issue and the fact that it was so antithetical to what they stood for, what they, what they, what they exist for, right. right? That, that they would penalize me because I didn't raise enough money. But obviously the, the other explanation is that they were full on for Hillary Clinton and me endorsing Bernie was the last straw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what made you endorse Bernie, by the way? How did you come around to? Doing I, that? you know, I ended up publishing a a Facebook post um, that went viral, and it talked about you know just the, you know, just all of the considerations that I took, and I'm really seeing Bernie as someone who embodied the values of um, of the struggle of so of what so many people are experiencing uh, today, and I talked about. Um, a kid that would constantly go through my mind as I was thinking about who to endorse and, and, you know, the things that Bernie was talking about versus what Hillary was talking about and, and even Martin O'Malley at the time. Um, and it was this kid and I told this story that when I was in college, I, uh, I went to USC in LA and I would do tutoring and there was this young boy and I, um, I would go and I would see him and do some assessments and things with him. And, he lived in this this tiny little filthy, filthy, awful little apartment in South Central LA. And, you know, his mom was just like not interested. And 
And so one day I went to, to tutor him and do this assessment, and we used to have this sheet of paper, and it had smiley faces on it, um, sad face to happy face, and that's how we gauge their emotions. And, you know, his health was so filthy that we couldn't even do, we couldn't do it inside. We had to sit on his stoop. And afterwards, as I was finishing up, I um, was putting away my things, and, and this little boy, just like seven, seven years old or so, a little black boy, and, and he looks up to me and he's like, can I have that? And I was like, what? You know, putting away all my things. And, and he points at the paper, the little sheet of paper. And I was like, sure. And then I realized, I thought to myself, why is he so, ex-? like he had this look of, of anxiety that I was going to maybe say no. And I was like, why, you know, why is he so concerned about this paper? And it just hit me that this kid had nothing. And I asked him, I said, do you, do you have books? Like, do you have anything in your house? And I said, do you have toys? Do you have anything to color with? Do you have a magazine? And he answered no to everything. And it just, you know, it, it just kind of hit me right in, in, you know, my soul when I realized immediately that this kid was probably not going to make it. That statistically speaking, everything that I knew at that point about what South Central is, the school system that he was in, the violence that he was facing every day, and a, a mom that wasn't interested in him, but this, you know, this look of, of you know, he was so intelligent and, and curious, and, and I literally kind of looked at him and felt like, this kid's not going to make it. And I gave him everything I could, and I walked out, and I sat on the, on the, sidewalk and I cried. I, you know, even thinking about it, like I still get kind of emotional, but I just, I just felt like the, the weight of my, of the world on my shoulders. And, and it just, it was so unfair. It was so unfair. And, you know, it was that moment kind of definitely started to motivate me into, you know, really caring about my community and the outcome and, you know, how, how unfair, it is for so many young people in our cities and, and in our country. And Bernie was the only person who was actually talking about that unfairness and, and the injustice and, and what we could do to actually do something about it. And I said all of that in this story and, and it went viral and, you know, it got covered by, you know, Vox and, and everybody else. And, you know, kind of like the, the topic or the subject lines were like, if Bernie rent wins, this is why. Right. And, um, and, and that was it, you know, to me, he just, he was the only person that truly, uh, deeply actually cared right. about that little boy in South Central. And so even though my consultants and so many people were like, they literally tried to talk me out of endorsing Bernie many times over, I was just, I was very resolved and I was very scared. I was very, very scared because I knew I, I know what happens to dissenters right. and I knew I was going to be punished and, and punished I was. Um, but like everything else in my life, I don't regret it. Right. And, um, and I'm just very glad that, you know, I got to go through that experience and, and if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be here with you right. all. Oh, yeah. and we're so happy you're here. Yeah, no, we are. And thank you for, for sharing that story. Yeah. yeah, and for selfish reasons, we're, we just, just, we're just happy you're, you're here. here. No, I, uh, I feel like kids are such an such like so important as vehicles as vehicles um, for storytelling because you know they're they're a door. I mean, 
you know, they don't have the baggage that adults have. And so you see the unfairness really clearly, right? Like adults, you may know if you knew their backstory, you'd be like, oh, I get why this person's like this. Like who knows what happened to his mother to make him her not interested, right? Right. But it's like so you can't at all justify something when it's happening to a kid who's like done nothing wrong. Right. That's right. Um, it's just his lot in life. Yeah. With, right. And I, and I think what you, I mean, not that I'm a Lucy Flores at all, but I've, as someone who like, you know, was into politics from a young age and organizing rallies at like six and stuff. Um, for me, politics has always been about that justice, right? About fairness and about emotion, about caring about people. That's the only reason I'm interested in it. It's not like about a power game or any of that. And it's funny that some people see those things as disconnected. Like that's, the, and, and I think that's something that Sanders like, come it just comes across with him so clearly that he really is like there's a the fire inside of him is about other people suffering right and the inequity and the you know the the unlevel playing field um and something that's so frustrating that comes up with the identity politics stuff i think is that yeah i mean hillary may have like may have woker ways of phrasing things but in terms of her policies like for people who have everything or people who aren't struggling or suffering like and aren't empathetic to other people's experiences, they feel more at ease with Hillary because she can say the things that they like hearing. You know, and I don't I don't mean like I just mean the language of and um you know, like you said, maybe what Sanders said was a little clunky or inelegant or an artful, <laughs> but like the policy is there and the emotion is there and the ethics are there in a way that just aren't with most politicians and aren't with Hillary. Um and it was just so painful and frustrating, especially when some people I, I know we're actually more conservative and like hid behind this stuff and identity politics to critique Sanders for for putting forward more progressive policy. Well, we also missed an opportunity to talk about a very real issue in, su- in a substantive way. Um, I'm in fact, one of the reasons um, when it comes to the chairman's um, oh, yeah. race now for the Democratic Party, uh, our revolution voted to endorse uh, Keith Ellison for for uh, DNC chair. Minnesota uh, congressman for our right. listeners. Right, yeah. uh-huh. And I voted no. Um, and the reason, well, there was two reasons. One was because I felt that it was still very early on and um, the very thing that we complained about in terms of the presidential race and not allowing the field to develop itself and everybody, you know, hopping on board and bandwagging around Hillary Clinton before anyone even had a chance. Right. Um, like Lincoln Chafee, poor Lincoln Chafee. Oh, uh, yeah. I the, mean, the you granite, know, like we could rock. have President Chafee right now, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, but we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. So I felt, I felt, okay, listen, if we complained about that, let's not be hypocrites, right? right? I mean, let this field develop. And two, um, there were no women of color being mentioned. None. And Keith is African-American and Muslim, just so right, our listeners know, right. which, which is not female, but still, I just want right. to keep, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there, there were no women of color. The only woman being mentioned at that time was Jennifer Granholm. And hey, listen, she's, I've met her. She's a nice woman. I'm sorry, her politics are not my she politics. She was with Correct the Record, right? The uh, David Brock organization? Right, right. And, yeah. and frankly, I just thought was an over-the-top Clinton apologist. Yeah, big time. So no. So, you know, so it really bothered me that there were no women of color whatsoever even being talked about for this position. And, and during that meeting, um, Bernie was there for a little bit just to, you know, say hi and talk with all of us. And, and I told him straight out, I was like, you know what, Bernie? This is a problem. This is particularly a problem with the Democratic Party because you have a block of people 
who time and time and time again are loyal, beyond loyal. When it comes to black women, you have like nine, over 90% of black women will vote for Democrats. Um, Latino women, you know, not as high, but also like significantly high. You know, we're talking 70, 80%. And, and yet time and time again, those same women are overlooked. Right. They're overlooked for office. They're overlooked for investment in the communities, et cetera. Democrats come to, to these communities you know, policy, usually right? once every four years, mm-hmm. but sometimes they make the effort every two. But, you know, they literally forget about these communities because they know that they're dependable. They take them for granted, right? right? And, and enough, enough with that. And so for me, um, I just thought it was really important to, to be vocal about that. Um, and so eventually I did end up connecting with Keith and, um, you know, talking to a lot of other people, too, about this race. And, and you know, also saying, hey, look, my, my support, I value it and you should, too. So, so if I'm going to support you, here are also the things that I think are really important that I hope you'll support as well. Right. And and out of all of the conversations that I've had with a lot of people around the importance of um, supporting underrepresented women. And to be clear, you know, when I say women of color, I do mean progressive women of color because it's right. I would not Condoleezza Rice. Exactly. Right. Like to to Bernie's point. Right. Is that if we're right, if I mean, if I have the choice between a progressive white man and a corporate black or or latino or asian democrat i'm gonna choose a progressive white man every day of the week Mm. every day of the week that's hillary i mean she's white but that's the hillary bernie thing right Right. like exactly all things being equal of course you go for the woman but they weren't equal exactly exactly and so you know but going deeper into that we have to acknowledge then the disparities that exist in terms of access right that's when we start to get into the to the intersectionality part the part that people don't really think about the nuance um, and, you know, why we have this underrepresentation of women of color in our party that is literally at crisis level. I mean, you have, for example, for Latinas in state legislatures across this country, you have close to 8,000 legislative seats, less than 1% of those seats. Literally, we're talking about less than 100 women. We're talking about like 90 women nationwide hold a legislative seat in this country. Less than one percent. I mean, come on. Out of eight thousand seat, you have eighty or yeah. ninety women, ninety Latinas in this entire country. There's a reason for that. It's not because they're not interested in running for office. Right. It's not because they're not smart enough. It's not even because they don't have enough money. It is because there is a systemic issue with access to running for office in this country, and frankly, who the powers that be, those institutional powers, are supporting, and they're choosing not to support women of color. And that's a very big thing. So, you know, I mean, those are the kinds of conversations that I think that we missed out on. We didn't have those deeper, more nuanced, very critical conversations about those real issues. Why? Because the media, of course, was focused on, you know, creating this narrative and continuing on this Bernie bro narrative and that, you know, Bernie doesn't care about people of color and, you know, like. Killer Mike is an, and Nina Turner right. are anomalies, you right. know, like right. four black people <laughs> right. support Bernie right. and three Latinos. Right. You know, I mean, like the that dreamers. is the right. And, and Jealous, couple of you dreamers, know, but what right. is he? He's just the former head of the NAACP. Yeah. I, I mean, those people don't matter. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you Cornel know. West. Oh, yeah. Cornel, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're all closet white people. Right. Exactly. You know? totally. So, I mean, but that was the point is that they wanted to not only the, the, the those folks in the media, but 
you know, also, you know, Clinton supporters and, and people who wanted to, you know, really make their point and be like, we told you, right. we so, told you. Right. What, what's going to happen yeah. now? Okay, so yeah. we're in this moment of incredible uncertainty where people are complaining, I mean, going crazy, DEFCON 4 around Trump, but... It's like kind of uh, complaining. It, it, he hasn't really taken a form yet. He's like the term, like the T two thousand. He's like this amorphous <laughs> uh, boogeyman because he, you know, uh, we, he hasn't affected any policies yet. So we can talk about that. But then there's also the establishment democratic uh, apparatus that failed miserably. Right. Right. Uh, so are they? What I I don't know what's going on with them. Are right. they still in power, or is there an insurgency of where sort of like the R revolution? generation of um, politicians and people who were inspired by the Bernie Sanders campaign, are they going to be usurping this apparatus or I not mean, to I, give I away the that, playbook, but right. what? <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Right. I'm going to tell you everything that's yeah. going to happen um, based on all of my inside knowledge, which is not very much at all. We know. Uh, <laughs> no, I, yes, mean, I got know. kicked out of the we party know. a while no, ago. We, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> I trust me. I, I'm, I'm definitely the black sheep now. Um, what a badge of honor. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I do think that, that, um, Keith Ellison, as chairman of the Democratic Party, is a step in the right direction, um, not just because uh, he supported Bernie or, you know, because um, he's a part of this progressive movement revolution. His approach is different. In every single one of his campaigns that he has run, he has been more focused on grassroots organizing, on doing the, that mass communication through actual in-person conversations. Um, you know, and he's talked about this many, many times over, moving away from that model of spending hundreds of millions of dollars on TV, knowing that one, that's becoming an outdated mode of communication, and two, doesn't move anyone. That's and, right. And, and so, you know, ju- that in and of itself. I just binge watch Netflix. There's <laughs> exactly. no commercials. Yeah, exactly. well, I've never seen a political you, commercial. It, no, don't you remember the controversy? Because Netflix started allowing political commercials. I voted for Bernie because Killer Mike. <laughs> Literally, that was when I first heard about Bernie. I was like listening to Run the Jewels, and then I was like, let's see what this guy's doing on YouTube. Oh, what, what's he doing with this old white man? Oh, Bert, he's running for president? <laughs> he ignored me talking about him. I know. I In literally. One ear at the other. But yeah. Like so, Killer Mike. No, he moves hearts and minds. Killer well, Mike. you know, I, I do think that that we need to we need to moderate our approach, not just in our politics, but also in the way that we actually engage with voters and engage totally. with people. And and that's what Keith has done. And I think that he is really going to lead the party in um, the right direction. And um, and so, yeah, I do think that you have a lot of people within the, um, you know, the the institution, if you will, the establishment um, that that, you know, are are really going to bring new energy and new ideas to this party. And frankly, if they don't, I'm I'm really afraid for what's next. I mean, if this doesn't if this doesn't I mean, you know, I don't know. I was having an interesting conversation the other day about I've thought a couple of times over whether or not I should leave the Democratic Party. You know, I, I, I think we all have, you know, because it's like how many how many disappointments can you take? Like, you know. How many times does your boyfriend have to cheat on you before you finally break up right. on him? Break up with him. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, enough is enough. Right. You know, and like so we're prisoners. I, right, yeah, and I've constantly. certainly, I've 
But you know, at this point, I'm not there yet because I do still have hope and I do still see that there's so many amazing people within my party and, um, you know, these young people and just everywhere who believe what I believe and who are fighting every single day for the same thing. Right. Grijalva. I mean, there's good people, you know, and, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't let the negativity and, um, you know, our broken hearts get the best of us because we don't focus on all the good that we're accomplishing. And there is a lot of good, you know, so I'm, I'm still sticking it out. And, and I really do hope that, you know, we start to make some improvements. And, and if they don't, you know what? The Democratic Party's in trouble. Right. That's the irony is that I'm not someone who's that attached to the DNC. Like other people who are more attached to it, I, I was I was joking the other day on Twitter, same, same principle. Like I'd be a better camp, would have been a better campaign manager for Hillary Clinton than who she had working for her because I'm not part of the like um, enabling, entitled elite that doesn't even realize what's its, in its own self-interest. And I feel like so many people who are like, yay, DNC. I'm like, no, you don't. Do you not get that like Bernie Sanders and this new wave is like your only chance of surviving? Like, how do you not get that? But with with Ellison, it's interesting because um, he was the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, which hasn't been about defamation for a while and is a total Shonda uh, which means a shame. I don't know what that means. Means a shame in Yiddish, and I, okay. I'm a Bernie Jew. I'm a secular, just so you know. I'm well, a, there's I'm a, a, there's a identity in, politics yeah, is the whole reason yeah. that you voted for him. Totally, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm also critical of Israel, blah, blah, blah. But the big thing is that the ADL, which interestingly enough, has barely said anything about Steve Bannon, the alt right, you know, guy. Um, well, he's white super pro white supremacist, white supremacist, right? Supremacist. He loves I Israel, though. I refuse to use alt right. No, good, good. Thank you for reminding me. I was doing it somewhat facetiously, but you're right. We should always say the white supremacist guy. They're like, eh, yeah, he's a little scary. Keith Ellison, because he thinks Palestinians are human beings. I mean, the irony is he's done a lot of stuff that like lots of Jews think is too enabling of the Israeli government. But Mm -hmm. well, and you can be critical of the decisions that some of the decisions that Israel has made, and not be an anti-Semite. I mean, that's such an understatement. Like, it's just like so. so If you don't agree one hundred percent, then you're an anti-Semite. Yeah, and you hate Jews. It's actually really scary. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. It's like we know that people who are like USA, USA, war in Iraq, Vietnam, those aren't pro-American. Like, they're not patriots because they do that. In fact, the more patriotic positions, like I care about the suffering of, of Iraqi children and the Vietnamese, but. Even if I weren't, if I were just national security, self-interest, like the pro-America position is not to make yourself like inspire tons of terrorism and resistance because of what the awful things you're doing abroad. Right. Same thing with Israel. What about the awful things you're doing internally here, too, as well, with like the uh, millions of incarcerated people that we have in this country? Yeah, yeah. So that is like such an embarrassing thing to me. And and then you have Dershowitz, Alan Dershowitz, who calls everyone an anti-Semite, literally everyone, but not (laughs) Steve Bannon. He's like, I don't know. He works with this guy who's an Orthodox Jew, wears the kippah. It was kind of hilarious. He put his <laughs> hands on his head. It made me laugh. Um, but uh, there, so there's a smear campaign against him. But, and this is, a, I think, a, like a signal of your guys, like the Our Revolution crowd of your guys' success is that um, Schumer has endorsed him. Mm-hmm. And Schumer was not, he's a big Clinton person, not a Sanders person. But I think it's like they realize that if only out of self-preservation, right. they need to exactly. get behind this guy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what, what do you guys? What advice do you have for people in terms of organizing against Trump? Like Gabe, I think you were asked, talking about this. The, I mean, I, I'm always worried that the the rhetoric will distract us from the policy that he's trying to pass. But what what do you think the right approach is? What can people do? I think it's just paying attention. 
and and not pay attention to his tweets. I right, mean, every I now and then because you know, but I mean, we can't get caught up on. We he has he got elected because he managed to manipulate um, this reality show kind of culture that we live in now. And he continues to do that. I've always told people he is a master. Yeah. He is a genius, He's a genius. when it I comes to too, marketing. Yeah. When yeah. it comes to marketing. And I would say, you know, people would be like, oh, Trump isn't going to win because he only spent $5 in X state and on commercials and Hillary spent $200 million. Like, there's no way. And it's like, um, he doesn't need it. Right. Right. He is the earned media master. Right. He doesn't need... Why is he going to spend that money when he's getting the equivalent of airtime for free? It's like so, guerrilla warfare. Like, right. So, like, the, the what my, my, biggest, my biggest suggestion to people is to pay attention to the nuance and the boring that they right. don't want. Pay attention to who he's appointing in his cabinet. Pay attention... Because those things matter. When he... And and don't believe what's coming out of his mouth. Believe what he's actually doing. Because you cannot trust a single word that comes out of that man's mouth. He started talking about, for example, how, you know, maybe we don't need a wall. Maybe it's like, we're going to, maybe a fence. Vicious rivers. Maybe a fence. He said we don't need to build a wall because there are vicious rivers. (laughs) Right. So now he's like backing away from the whole wall thing, right? Because he's like, (laughs) I know. (laughs) I I looked into this. eh, I'm not sure. Vicious rivers. I don't believe him for a second. Right. Don't believe him for a second. He talked about potentially legalizing, giving people the opportunity to, to fix their status, their undocumented status. And I don't believe right. that for a Because it disarms second. us, right? It tells us that we don't have to organize. Right. Our, exactly. We don't have to worry about it. That's right. exactly right. Do not, do not let down your defense. Instead, look at who he's appointing. He was, he has Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State, who organized that entire 2010 anti-immigrant wave that overtook this country. SB 1070 out of right. Arizona, all and all of the copy, uh, copycat laws that resulted from that, that that literally targeted and demonized immigrants in this country. That's the guy who's advising you on your immigration policy. So that's what we need to pay attention to the the actual behaviors that he's doing, and that is going to require that we pay a little bit more attention, that we don't get caught up in all the. All the damn Facebook sharing right. and you know the outrage. Right. And the I comments. can't believe he said right. that. Exactly. You know, like we shouldn't be saying that anymore because he'll say anything. Anything. Like, like yeah. we just need to take it we, for granted. We, almost we need to just believe it. Right. <laughs> you know, people are just like, can you believe he right. said this? And right. It's like, yes, yes, you can believe he said that, right. and yes, he is going to do crazy stuff for the next four years. The sooner we all admit that and just accept it, the sooner we can start paying attention to frankly what I think are just the evil goings on in his administration. Um, That's where I think it's going to be scary. want to give a, for people listening, we've been talking to Lucy Flores. What's your Twitter handle, by the way? Lucy Flores. Just Lucy Flores. Um, She's a troll warrior, so troll back it warrior. up. Warrior. And we want to invite <laughs> everyone who's listening to the Katie Halper Show, which you can hear every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. Um, we want to invite you all to our show, which we're doing a live show. In vivo. In vivo. We do a show once a month, and next week we're doing it Wednesday, December 14th. It's a live show followed by a karaoke holiday party. <gasps> what? Yes. I'm going to miss that? I know. That? We'll, we're going to talk I'm about a, this. Let's I'm have a, an hour I'm a mariachi singer. Oh, my God. Are you mm-hmm. serious? Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to have to have another one with <laughs> you. Renaissance, dude, Renaissance, Renaissance woman. woman. For real. And it's going to be like with um, Zed Jelani of The Intercept and Karina Moreno, who's a professor uh, at LIU. And... Um, 
and Kazembe Balagan, who was from the Rosa Luxemburg Center and used to run the Brecht Forum. And it's free, 7 p.m. Um, Wednesday, December 14th at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue. But Lucy, um, we are so thrilled that you came and, and we're going to um, link to you. And what are you doing next, by the way? What's on their agenda? Well, right now I am recording you live for my Instagram story. So hi, Instagram. Hi. I hope hi, it's a good Instagram. angle. Oh, Katie Halper, yeah, Gabe oh, Pacheco. Hey. No, you look beautiful. Okay. What about me? <laughs> Oh, this is great. Um, what's next besides Instagramming you um, for my Facebook story? Um, I don't know. Taking over the world. Awesome. Sounds good. Okay. Who great. runs the world, Lucy Flores? <laughs> it's girls, girls. Thank you guys so much for listening to Katie Hubbard. Thank you so much for Lucy Flores for coming on. And we'll see my you pleasure. next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.